Today's TripCast is presented by the Texas Association of Counties. County government delivers effective, efficient, local solutions to Texans every day in all 254 counties. Learn more at www.texascountiesdeliver.org. And Teladoc. Texas families need access to quality, affordable health care. Tell Texas to keep medicine. And learn more at www.teladoc.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas Good day, Texas TripCast listeners. This is Ali Nirani, Executive Director of the National Immigration Forum. Two big things happened this week. First, opening day of Major League Baseball. This is absolutely going to be the Rangers year. Hey, I know my audience. What can I say? Second, my new book, There Goes the Neighborhood, How Communities Deal with Prejudice That Comes with American Immigration, hit bookshelves this week. Of the 60 or so folks folks I interviewed, a good number of them were your fellow Texans. Pick up a copy, and I'll see you at the Texas Trip Fest on September 23rd. Now, without further ado, coming off an all-star year, batting 398, stealing 40 bases, and hitting 42 home runs, your host, Aman Bathija. Thank you. This is Aman Bathija here with the TripCast for the first week of April. I'm joined by CEO Evan Smith. I think it's going well so far. <laughs> Are you enjoying it? It's going great. The, yeah. pres- the pressure of being the host is really enormous. Well, Emily prepped me well. She gave me the signal she gives to Todd whenever she wants to mo- mute your mic. <laughs> oh, is that right? Is there a whole plan to wire around me? The silence gesture. Just go have yeah. lunch. Okay. Uh, political reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. And demographics reporter Alexa Ura. Hello. All right. This is my first time hosting, as Evan has pointed out <laughs> and has said he's going to haze me for. Uh, I am. Let's start with Beto O'Rourke, who launched his Good campaign. Good pronunciation. <laughs> right. B+. Plus. Who? <laughs> <laughs> B+. Plus. The Beto part? You know, he, he stumbled over Aura. I did, he did. actually. Yeah. Yes. I totally did. Did. He we, got, we gave you that one. He got Beto. We didn't actually bust your balls about that. But didn't get Ura. Didn't get Ura. Yeah. I, I, I said O'Rourke flawlessly. <laughs> you did, your, your O'Rourke was perfect. You want, so the question you're asking is, does, does everybody at this table have as much of a chance of winning the Senate race as Beto? Yeah, let's start with that. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Probably. Don't, I, I think I would have a better chance, right? Don't women get like a three-point bump just like by your name on the so ballot? So if I had run for governor in, in 2014, primary. I would have gotten 38%, 36%, 35%. <laughs> is that right? Um, yeah, so what do you want to know about him? How, how, what do you think guy looks like Robert Kennedy, used to play in a punk band. What else do you want to know? Well, his rollout, what I was, impre- I was a little, kind of impressed by was the crowds he drew at each event. It was surprisingly big for, you know. And I've been telling you we live in woke nation. <laughs> well, but Everybody's he's, woke, man. Come doesn't on. he not have, like, consultants or staff? No consultants or pollsters is what he to- uh. said, uh, which when I tweeted that line from Abby Livingston's profile of him last week, I had all these consultants and D.C. reporters retweeting it with, like, oh, well, there goes the race and what an idiot. Um, my, my only thought was, what pollster or consultant has won Texas for Democrats in the last 20 years? He's definitely doing something different. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what, you know, I mean, uh, maybe that's what it will take. I mean, I'm sure that's his theory of the case at this very early juncture. Yeah, this is opposite is... day like George Costanza, right? <laughs> he's, he's running the George Costanza campaign. Sure. Well, speaking of that, and this is actually, we got this question on Facebook, but it's been bugging me too. Uh, Patrick, you watched his uh, speech in Dallas. 
I did, yeah. Which was unusual. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this was his second – I think this was his second stop on the rollout tour after his El Paso announcement. <laughs> he went to Dallas, and um, he said the F word uh, three times uh, in his <laughs> speech. <laughs> He's hired. He can come uh, work here. I'm this surprised that you went with the F word. Instead of F-bombs? Yeah. I, mean, I feel like that's what we'd, we'd say in a story please. or something. <laughs> Are you, you kidding me? Beaver Cleaver over here is not going to cuss on the podcast. Yeah. Come on. I apologize. Go on. You know, he said it, uh, and he said it. It wasn't very contrived, but it was definitely a striking. And um, you know, I thought it, you know, it was interesting. It helped fuel this idea that he is just like a, kind of a, I don't want to say a, a wild cannon, but he's kind of unrestrained. Um, he's candid. You know, he's the Democrats' answer to Trump. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's real. That was actually when I, when I tweeted, you know, when <laughs> so I tweeted about that. Guy, I you know, when I tweeted about that, the main counterpoint from Democrats or from his supporters was like, well, you know, Trump got elected. You know, being very profane and very uh, direct in that way. Maybe this is what what it takes. I don't think it was necessarily <laughs> a strategy, um, but <laughs> uh, look, I think I think there's something legitimate to the idea that nothing has worked for 23 years. So what the hell? Sure. I think there's. I, I think that's actually philosophically at the top. Top level, a legitimate, you know, case to be made for running an unconventional campaign. But beyond that, he is who he is, and I think he is not the kind of person, given his political history or his personality, who is going to be too handled and scripted and put into a box. Right? He's. It would be no point in his running, given everything he's done up to this point, to suddenly become this cardboard cutout candidate. So it's probably consistent with who he is and what he's done that he run a campaign that's just basically him. I think what I find so strange about it, though, is for him to have gotten this far, he has to be somewhat of a disciplined guy and know what he's saying and mean what he mm -hmm. says when he says it, which means he intentionally did that, which just well, seems so know. weird. You no. Either that or, I mean. You think he woke up that day and said, I'm going to drop three <laughs> F-bombs. It was his second day on the campaign. If he, I mean, he, was, if he can't he control himself up, that I think long, he was, he was feeling the, the enthusiasm. Um he, he was basically a Bernie guy. He was not officially a Bernie guy. He never officially endorsed mm -hmm. uh, S S Sanders. But as I understand it, he was one of the five Democrats who endorsed Hillary Clinton in a general election latest among the Democratic House members. Mm -hmm. And his his political disposition and affect in El Paso over the years as a city council member and then as an insurgent candidate in that congressional race was much more in line with the Bernie yeah. Bro, Sanders, Nista, that whole affect, that whole element of the Democratic Party. And so he is going to run a campaign that is going to be probably more consistent with this uh, uh Break the rules, insurgent, right? Yeah, he also voted against Nancy Pelosi um, oh, that's right. when she right. ran again for leadership mm -hmm. after the election. I think he was the only Texas Democrat to do so. In fact, I know he was the only Texas Democrat to do so because uh, we, we covered it at the time, which I think is interesting. You saw immediately from Cruz and Cruz's allies this attempt to uh, tie him to congressional leadership. They bought that Snapchat and filter. Sure, they had yeah, the Snapchat <laughs> filter where they had uh, him as a puppet of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And you know that that could still be effective, but I think it's an interesting um, you know point that he didn't exactly toe the party line when it came to Nancy Pelosi's um, reelection. And as then here's, here's the other part of that I'd, I'd say is interesting: is he's sort of going to be the Janis Joplin, you know, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose candidate, right? Because he was yeah. not going to serve more than one term in right. the House. Mm -hmm. He's not really giving anything up. So he can run a campaign that is totally kick out to jams. Don't worry about yeah. conventional campaigning. Don't be cautious. Again, making the argument that running a conventional campaign for the last 23 years has gotten the Democrats precisely nothing at the statewide level. 
he can run a campaign that's unrestrained. He can run a tie loosened, sleeves rolled up, never wear a jacket, be himself kind of campaign and test the proposition that that authenticity, whether it needs air sure. quotes or not, is is, yeah. is the thing that the Democratic campaign is I mean, at the end of the day, too, if even if he loses, one, he might raise his profile, and two, it seems like he's got a, I mean, he's in a pretty, he's got a pretty good safety net back in El Paso to where he's not going to not have anything to do. I mean, he's pretty well off, and, and his family's pretty prominent over there to where it's not like he's going to go back to nothing. It, and it, it certainly provides an interesting contrast with Cruz, who at times can come off as overly scripted as just a very deliberate uh, political uh, I, I operative. Like, I like plaid shirt Ted yeah. Cruz. That's <laughs> well, my favorite Ted I, I Cruz. I can't even imagine, you know, Ted Cruz saying the F word after he stubs his toe, let alone in a, in a campaign <laughs> speech. So, I mean, I was thinking, you know, when I heard that on Saturday, I was thinking I couldn't oh, imagine. <laughs> darn! <laughs> I, Heidi, I stubbed my toe! Yeah. <laughs> He's probably that's one my, of those people that says like fart instead of yeah. I, I don't know. I'm yeah. just saying. Uh, you know, and it, and it you know obviously you know that model has worked for Cruz. He's been a successful yeah. politically, but it's just going to be an interesting contrast if it gets to that. And point. at the end of the day, it doesn't change the math of any political race in Texas in 2017 or 2018, which is that Republicans have a baked-in advantage, and it would have to be unbelievable conditions and stars aligning and everything right. else for this to be a truly competitive race. Democrats have a difficult I mean here's where we kind of get serious and talk, you know, kind of real real talk <laughs> now. Democrats have a hard time in 2018 in the Senate races that are uh, in which they have incumbents running and in even in which they yeah. don't have incumbents running. Right. They got a lot of seats to defend that mm-hmm. Trump in states where Trump won. The Nevada race is perceived to be a race that is a little bit more winnable than the Texas race, and the Nevada race is by no means a winnable race as a certainty. It's a competitive race. But if Texas is number two or number three in the most winnable pickups, that tells you something, that the environment for Democrats – now, the big asterisk is that if if, the the Trumpster fire – is still raging in in 2018. Then did you just make that up on on the spot, <laughs> baby? Been waiting yeah. No, on the, spot. Yeah. on on the spot. On the spot. If there's a huge problem with with Trump in 2018, and that's the backdrop for a midterm, and suddenly now things that are competitive, or things that would not be competitive or competitive. Here's what I would say: If the Cruz O'Rourke race, if that's what it ends up being, we haven't talked about Castro potentially getting this race. Yeah. But if the Cruz O'Rourke race is competitive then there are going to be other races on the statewide ballot in Texas that could be competitive. Mm -hmm. It could be a totally different landscape than we're anticipating. Before we talk about Castro, one question from Facebook. Uh, Someone asked, the morning after that Dallas beach in Waco, did he swear again? Um, I didn't catch it. I I watched his Austin event later that day, and he did not. And then he went to Houston (laughs) the next day, and I think he made a remark at the beginning of the Houston event According to reporters there, that said, I promise not to, you know, say the f word here. There are kids in the audience, or something like that. So he was somewhat self-aware, I guess. That Cruises days, people are checking the video of Dallas. Houston. Were there any kids <laughs> in the audience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Castro. Um, yeah, so he's, you know, he said that he's going to decide by the end of April. Um, you know, it sounds, it sounds like he is still seriously considering it. That this is not, um, you know, just an effort to to drag out the timeline. Um, and, you know, the, the divisions, I think, that would uh, come about in that primary would be very interesting. As we pointed out before, I mean, you know, O'Rourke is kind of in the mold of, you know, to very oversimplify, you know, his political image is kind of in the mold of a Bernie Sanders-like candidate um, in terms of uh, at least tactics. And so I think that if Castro were to run, he would be um, immediately put into the box of the Democratic establishment candidate in Texas. Um, but then again, I mean, I, I you know, we we aren't we don't see a lot of these big name Castro's a big Castro's primaries. a bigger brand than, than O'Rourke nationally right right we know that yeah. and 
Castro is probably better known in Texas to some degree, even if they're mistaking him for his brother, <laughs> right? The, the, the Castro brand in Texas sure. is probably a bigger brand than the O'Rourke brand, although O'Rourke is working hard to close that gap. And I, I think that that uh, Thelma and Louise deal they did with Heard, he and Heard did, is pro- you know that got a lot of attention. I mean, it was a perfect moment for him if he was planning to launch this to have done that because the brand got. Uh, I mean, but even if both O'Rourke and Castro run, it seems like they would probably focus on each other a little less than they would focus on Ted Cruz. I mean, that's the. It seems like that's how they're setting up sort of their sure, play. Absolutely. It's, it's an yeah. anti-Cruz thing, not against each other. Right. But the idea that the, the two of the more uh, talented, uh, uh, politically talented Democrats in a, a, an election year where you have all these other races, the idea from the, from the Democrats' perspective that they're two politically are going to run for the same thing in the primary, it's like, you guys. I think it's the idea of running against Cruz. Can't you guys do rock, paper, scissors, and then yeah. one of you run for governor or something? I mean, if you're going to be seriously yeah. – you know, my my stated position has been that I think it's less likely than more likely that Castro runs, and I'm stick I'm sticking with that. Yeah, I feel like he's being groomed for bigger things in the House by the or perhaps has aspirations leadership. for himself. I mean, look, yeah. we could be sitting yeah. here in a month, and Castro's gotten in a race, and we all go, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he's really settled into this perch on the intelligence committees on TV I mean, every day. He's been on armed services and, yeah. and foreign affairs before. He's yeah. positioning himself potentially in a future Democratic administration to to go into a cabinet post that might be related to the work he's done on these committees. Sure. And if he goes for this Senate race, which even he would have to acknowledge would be an uphill battle, and you lose, then that probably makes it less likely you're going to end up in a future administration sure. yeah. position, right? Better to be where you are. So we'll see. I've always, I feel like I've gotten the sense that just Pedro Bork has been running so hard for months, just saying, I really want to do this. I'm almost definitely going to do this. It always kind of signaled to me that he probably knew Castro wasn't getting in it. Or that they're maybe just not talking as much as people think they are talking behind oh, the scenes. Maybe. I yeah. mean, he's definitely made no secret. That's right. Yeah. So uh, that's a si- signal or not, but yeah. Let's switch gears to the cap- the Texas Capitol, and the House is taking up the budget tomorrow. We've got 401 amendments pre-filed. And just for some context, two years ago, there were about 350 amendments pre-filed, and the debate lasted 18 hours. So tomorrow's probably going to be a crazy long day. Uh, what fights can we expect to pop up? Uh, what amendments have you guys looked at that seem like they might draw some fire? There's a bathroom amendment. Um, it's a Yay. bit. <laughs> what, and so what's the chance that that gets any more traction as a ride along with the budget than the bathroom amendment did with the Railroad Commission sunset? I think from what I've been told, I think it gets shot down because you can't make law in the budget. And the way the. So it's a germaneness issue or it's something else procedural? I think it might be a procedural thing where it basically says that you can't spend any money or if you get money from the state, you can't spend that in sort of retrofitting a bathroom. Um, But the language in the amendment is strange because it doesn't, it, it sort of focuses on men going into women's restroom. It doesn't even sort of use the biological sex language that the Senate's proposal Whose does. amendment is that? Valerie Swanson. So the women can still go into the men's? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, no, it, it, it actually has both in there. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of, it's written kind of strangely to where it's, it's you can't use money to designate a bathroom or alter a bathroom in any way that allows men into women's restrooms and, and women into men's restrooms. And at this point, there I, I don't know if this um, state rep doesn't acknowledge that you know, transgender people are real, or if if it's like the the language is just interesting because it's not using the language we've seen other folks yeah. use in trying to pass this. So, and, and there are also a couple of um, 
alternatives to abortion amendments, um, both to put more money into that program and to remove some money. And I want to say that that's what led to that weird, actually, no, that was HIV, that like weird exchange on the floor two years ago. With, the Stuart Spitzer yeah, exchange. Yeah. yeah, that might have been the that HIV. Was, yeah, that was about also. HIV funding to move it towards abstinence programs. Right. right. And, uh, but generally, this kind of a situation that we're in or going to be in on Thursday of this week is one that we have been in, as you said mm. before, whether it's the exact same substance or not. It's just it's like theater. Well, and last right? time there was this excited. great entertainment. Oh, I'm so psyched. Well, and not only was there that great exchange between Harold Dutton and Spitzer where I, th- I think it was Dutton asked um, if his if Spitzer's wife was the first person he ever tried to woman he tried to have sex with. Uh, and yes. Spitzer said that's not an appropriate question. <laughs> you know, Emily doesn't talk about sex when she's here. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to boost our ratings. Yeah. All of a sudden, Evan wants to keep it PG. Good luck. <laughs> right. He wants, you to, exactly. he wants you to cuss, but he well, doesn't want to talk Don't make about me go sex. all anti-Beto on you. Yeah. Well, so, so that I won't tell you what, I, I won't say what Boris Miles said at the yeah. budget debate no, last time. Let's not. Okay. Right. Let's not. Yeah. Um, but there were also like uh, amendments for vouchers and immigration amendments that everyone was kind of bracing for fights. And then at the last minute, they just pulled the amendments. And in some cases, I think the the, the lawmakers were just kind of negotiated with the budget leaders like, OK, I'll give you this or right. move this in your in your favor. And if you pull this amendment. So we actually don't know what will come up tomorrow. Maybe the bathrooms will come up at all. Yeah, I just I don't I don't get it. Why do they file so many things to give themselves such a long night if they already know that a bunch of them just like pull them down at the end and or none of them or some they're of them not, aren't they're going not anywhere. Make, they're not trying to make law, they're trying to make a point. I was say, ask yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> also, then you set yourself up for an 18-hour debate that you could Look, you know, the, 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 the reality of a legislative session is for all the wild and woolly aspects of it and the best free entertainment in town reputation, which I think is largely justified, it's actually a fairly scripted exercise to, yeah. to come in for the 140 days or the last 80 days in particular. A lot of the things that we write about and that we talk about out in the world as big controversies ultimately are just that talk. Mm-hmm. They don't actually get a significant hearing. Think about the number of bills that are filed at the beginning of the session and then the number that actually get heard and then this even smaller number that actually get uh, get into law, <laughs> get to the governor's desk. So for a lot of these guys, this is the only opportunity for their little boutique thing or their crazy notion or, or whatever, or their passion to get expressed is in the form of one of these amendments. I mean, that's yeah. just, that's just, right? That's yeah, just I mean, sure. if, you know, they file a bill and it might just, it goes nowhere, but yep. this is forces a debate on the House floor. You know, got to spend a couple of important minutes, you know, yelling at Sticky or whatever, <laughs> or whatever, or whatever it is. Um, someone on Facebook had asked, says, please discuss the rainy day fund, which is the only time you'll ever hear that. <laughs> <laughs> is that Ross? <laughs> Ross R. from Austin. Leaving comments from his office. But um, I'll mention that, so last last session, there were five no votes on the budget. Two of them, two of those people aren't in the House anymore, David Simpson, Molly White. The other three are Matt Rinaldi, Matt Schaefer, and Tony Tenderholt. I would guess there will be no more than five no votes well, look, because of the rainy day fund. You know, the Senate, uh, I mean, sure, mm-hmm. the Senate vote, uh, budget passed unanimously. Not even Senator Sylvia No Garcia, mm-hmm. who was the lone no vote in the last session mm-hmm. on the budget, she even she voted for the Senate budget. Now, the Democrats acknowledge that sending the uh, Senate budget out of the Senate over to the House or sending it into conference more accurately is different from actually a final vote on the budget. There mm-hmm. could be Democratic no votes on the on the budget eventually. Sure. I mean, it may be that the House process is not 
that different in that everybody just says the budget's going to pass. Just send the budget along, and we'll we'll argue about this in conference. Might be. I, I have a feeling that I mean, I've just heard so much about the Ray Day Fund in the House, and conservatives really unhappy with that aspect yeah. of it. Well, to answer the, the the person's question, I mean, the, the the key contrast here is that the Senate passed a budget that doesn't touch the Rainy Day Fund, and the House passed a budget that does touch the Rainy Day Fund. Not that there aren't people in the Senate who think they should be right. using the yeah, Rainy Day exactly. Fund, but presumably the votes aren't there, and the lieutenant governor has not seemed particularly enthusiastic about it. Lieutenant governor does not seem as enthusiastic as the speaker in, in dipping into the Rainy Day Fund. The governor's only instruction on this was in his State of the State uh, speech when he said, don't loot the Rainy Day Fund right. to some, you know, I think to some— <laughs> Pirate's booty. <laughs> <laughs> some conservative lawmakers selectively heard that as don't touch the Rainy Day Fund. Obviously, the definition of loot is not don't touch it at all. It's it's some, Yeah, if you, you have know. $10 billion <laughs> pot, how much exactly. is looting? <laughs> so— uh, it'll be interesting to see whether we get any further direction from the governor on that on that question as the budget wars continue to rage on. I mean, the, fa- the fact is there's a lot going on here. This is really a game of three- or four-dimensional chess, and the rainy day uh, uh, fund part of it is only uh, one part of it, mm-hmm. but the House is assuming that they'll be able to pay for many of the things that they're intending to pay for by doing this. And if mm-hmm. all of a sudden they get in a conference and the Senate is unwilling to budge on this, then they're even farther apart than we than we assume. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and finally, we end with how we end all TripCast now, the bathroom bill. <laughs> and specifically, uh, NCAA made an announcement. Was it yesterday? Yes. Yes, the that, NCAA uh, yesterday. could be important or could mean nothing. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it's hard to read the tea leaves on this one. The NCAA yesterday, after a, a repeal and replacement in North Carolina over their controversial bathroom bill, um, said that they were going to start, uh, they were going to reconsider North Carolina in awarding some of their sites. Um, it, it's hard to, it, it's easy to, we shouldn't read into it too much, I think. Um, you know, the there are ways in which the North Carolina bill was different from the Texas one, and there are ways in which it was the same, and, and that's still true with this new version. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cole Course and Patrick have been saying this is this now puts it closer to what we're doing, but in, in a lot of ways it doesn't. Um, and so I, I'm not sure that – obviously they were taking sort of a victory lap with that announcement. I'm not sure if it changes a whole lot here. Um, obviously, it's not great for those who have been sort of using the NCAA as, as cover and as part of their opposition to SB6. Yeah, and it's still not going anywhere in the House, which right. is obviously the legislative question here. Still hasn't been referred to a committee from what I know. Right. Uh, the public letter of support shows that, uh, you know, 40, I think, at this point, yeah, House right. members support it. That's a little over a third of mm-hmm. all re- just Republicans in the House. Um, so <laughs> not, that that's, not that it's surprising that it's not going anywhere in the House, but this is all playing out as when it's it's still clear at the legislative level it's not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah, well, there's a lot of pointing to North Carolina and, and what's happened in the last two weeks there. But, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, this still is in the House waiting to be referred. What, what, now, yeah. I think the interesting thing is that the, the, depending upon what side of this issue you're on, you either see the revision of the North Carolina bill as totally for you – or totally against them. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and there seems to be some disagreement exactly over what it means. And in your story with mm-hmm. Alex Samuels about the Texas bill compared to the revised language is interesting because yeah. it can't be the case that both sides are getting exactly what they say they're getting <laughs> in this in this new North Carolina bill because right. it's just yeah. Right? yeah. Well, and in reality, the 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 revisions in North Carolina put the on the local non-discrimination ordinance front it puts north carolina a little bit closer to texas but in terms of the actual bathroom restrictions um texas actually goes a little bit far further than the north carolina does in its proposal and so yeah you're right i think there's a little bit of people on both sides trying to use it 
I think the more interesting story, and this has been going on for, this has been a valid narrative for months, is is how uh, Dan Patrick and Lois Kolkhorst have been able to keep the uh, NCAA publicly, at least on the sidelines in Texas. Um, you know, we've had this debate, you know, going on for so long in North Carolina. The NCAA has been so publicly involved in it in North Carolina through the, the ultimatums they've issued, the public statements they've issued, and yet they still don't respond to requests for comment. Um, the, the, the bill here in Texas, mm-hmm. um, we know through public, you know, the pub testimony on the House floor, um, I'm sorry, on the Senate floor, that Cole Corst has been in touch behind the scenes with NCAA. So I'm just curious what the shape those conversations have been and, and how the bathroom bill supporters in Texas have been able to keep the NCAA from sticking their nose publicly, at least, into our, our well, debate. And Dan Patrick said yesterday, too, that he had been involved right. in, yeah. in one of those conversations. Yeah, I mean, I've asked the NCAA I, as many ways as possible. I even mm-hmm. asked for a statement that I knew they would have to give me, and so they responded with the statement and then still declined to comment on anything <laughs> related to Texas. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much of a role they played when North Carolina was still debating sure. this. I don't know if they also sort of stayed out of it at that point and, right. and really didn't jump in until after it was um, signed into law. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, there there just no sort of signal from them in any way, and obviously that benefits Patrick and Cole, of course, yep. who are able to say mm-hmm. we've been talking to them and, and, and you know, things are good it's sort mm-hmm. of how they're at, the, at the end of the day i'm curious to know we're not going to know until next year whether the lack of a vote in the house or whether if it gets to a vote and some republicans vote against and maybe the bill goes away mm-hmm. if this becomes a, a political issue out in the world does the world out there care as much about this as the proponents of the bill do internally that's the question yeah whether there would be political consequences i'd imagine in republican primaries there would well, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, I, d- I don't know the answer. I certainly mm-hmm. think there would be an attempt to get political well, consequences. Well, the, the solution to that is n- never bring it to the floor for a vote. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you never know. <laughs> then, it, then, it really is, then it really is fan fiction. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. One thing I'll add is, um, you know, there's been so much focus on the NCAA and whether certain sporting events like the Final Four are going to be lost in Texas. But the AP calcul- analyzed how much North Carolina has lost, and their estimate was like $3.7 billion, I think it, it was. was. It was that amount over 12 years. Right, and right. the aspect of it that goes to sporting events was like tiny compared to so many like corporations yeah. pulling out. Yeah, a- I mean, I as, think you, as you know, those are the kinds of numbers that the proponents of the bill reject. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, we've already heard some of that here in terms of conventions and in terms of businesses relocating and, and, and companies that have said, we don't like this, don't mm-hmm. do this. Um, so I That's already part of the conversation, but yeah, I don't think that matters to folks who support this. Yeah, I guess the NCAA is just this kind of like concrete thing. Are they for it? Are they going to pull a major event or not? And so that's drawn a lot more attention than, you know, hypothetical companies not expanding. It was pointed out to me by proponents of uh, of the bill today that the NCAA is very proudly and enthusiastically advertising the NCAA Final Four in San Antonio at the moment for next year. So at least until the bill passes, (laughs) their plans are proceeding along without any interruption. It remains to be seen what happens if it does. Well, that's all the time we have. How'd I do? I did fine. B plus. I think think you're talking about sex made Svitek uncomfortable, I think. Well, he's the only one who would pays me with his B pluses. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I grade on a curve. <laughs> you need to work on the graduate students I teach, I grade really easy. That's the point. If you have questions or comments, email them to tripcast at texastribune.org. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. On behalf of Evan, Alexa, Patrick, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Amon. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Ooh, that Texas talking.
<laughs> anything that I would be doing that would involve having to spend more time with you. We I'm, a, I'm opposed to. 